Those of us who have uh, reached the three score and 10 mark in life would probably reflect that we are not the same people we used to be. Uh, in some ways, we probably think we're better. We, some of us are more patient than we used to be. Some of us are more hopeful than we used to be. Some of us have learned that we can't control things the way we thought we could when we were in our middle or younger years. Some of us feel much closer to God on a regular basis than we have at other times in our life. And also those of us who are three score and ten and beyond would say we are not the same people we used to be, and that's not good. We can't do things we used to do, and we would like to. We are the people who do not turn right on red until you blow the horn. <laughs> we do drive in the left lane with a right blinker on for miles. <laughs> we do not climb ladders as high as we used to. I don't even own a ladder anymore. There are things in our life that are different now, and we miss them, and some of them are more important than others. I have the nagging thought this morning, given the sermon theme on courage, I have the nagging thought this morning that the reality is I am not as courageous as I used to be. I think I'm not as foolish as I used to be, but foolishness and courage are two different things. Foolishness is doing what you want, when you want, for whatever reason. Courage is doing the right thing at the right time with the right motive. And I'm not as courageous as I used to be. What happens to courage in the second half of life? Why is it that courage sometimes gives way to fear? And when courage gives way to fear, what happens to us? What happens to our world? What happens to our children, our grandchildren, the people around us? What happens to our church, a community? When individuals or institutions lose the virtue of courage, something precious has been lost. Ralph Staub, an ethics professor at Calvin Seminary, who I had for many classes many, many years ago, said, and I can still hear his words, he spoke them with conviction, and he himself was well past the age of 70 when he said it. He said, the mind of safety is the death of the church. The mind of safety is the death of the church. When a body of faith is concerned about its preservation and its safety and gives way to fear and caves in. The same things happen to institutions as happen to individuals. We become tentative. It takes us longer to do the right thing. Sometimes we don't even get around to doing the right thing. And we wonder now what the right thing is when we used to know clearly. And we're wondering about the timing of the right thing. So here we are, friends, at the dog days of summer. We're at the midpoint of summer, right? It's about half over. Bad news. Good news, we still have half left. 
And in this series of messages, when we're looking at the dog days of summer, we're thinking about dog as that term is applied to the life of an individual by the name of Caleb. And we talked about him last week. Uh, Lisa spoke to us about Caleb in the first part of his life and that courageous decision that he made and, and his life story. But this morning, we're going to look at the other end of that life spectrum, not looking at Caleb, but looking at the life of Joshua. Because the two names that are most prominent in the book of Joshua are, of course, Joshua, whose name means deliverer, and Caleb, whose name means the dog, hence the dog days of summer for us. Joshua is the heir apparent, you may remember, to one of the greatest leaders that the nation of Israel ever had. Moses, raised in a royal court, was prepared by God to do things that are spoken of with admiration to this day. Come on, folks. He led a nation out of slavery. It was an emancipation proclamation, the likes of which have never been repeated in human history. Let my people go, and go they did after the ten plagues. Moses led them through the sea. He led them into the desert. And Moses, standing there at the promised land, said, we ought to go and take this land. He then sends 12 spies into the land of Canaan that had been promised to him by God and says, you tell us what's out there, you come back. So they came back with the report. Ten of the spies said, we can't go there. There are giants there. They're going to eat us up alive. And only Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do this. We should do this. Joshua and Caleb lost the vote 10 to 2. Courage is a virtue, and when courage is absent, bad choices are always the result. So Israel spends 40 years of time out in the desert paying for the consequence of a bad choice not to enter the land when they should have entered it and take it as they should have taken it. Now it is 40 years later. Moses is looking at this people, and he's standing at the Jordan River. He's at Mount Nebo, looking across the river into the land of Israel, the land God said, this is your land. And Moses is sitting there, and he's hearing God say, now you can look at it all, but you'll never get there. That's for someone else. And Moses dies, and he's buried on the other side of the river. And into his sandals steps Joshua, whose name means deliverer whose name ultimately leads us to Jesus, Joshua, Jesus, the Deliverer. Joshua steps in where Moses had stepped out, and he steps in at a moment that is absolutely, I think, amazing. God says to him in Joshua 1, 5, and 6, Now, I know what you need, Joshua. He says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Those words are so important. They're repeated four times in the first chapter of Joshua alone. Strength and courage are what Joshua needed. And he must have heard those words because look at what what happens in the book of Joshua. He crosses the river, and beginning with the city of Jericho, one after another, he takes city after city after city, conquers tribe after tribe after tribe, 
conquers king after king after king, all the way from Jericho to Anab, until finally the land is conquered. God's people have moved into the land, and they are at last home. Just like God had promised Abraham, this is your land, I'll be your God. Now they are in their land, they are home. This is a moment unparalleled in Israel's history. This is one of the highest, greatest moments in all the Old Testament. A biblical scholar, Trent Butler, has summarized this moment in these words. He says, it is only with Joshua that we have a leader who does not go wrong. It is only with Joshua that we have a people who have been perfectly obedient. It is only with Joshua that Israel commits herself totally to Yahweh alone as God. After Joshua, the history of Israel goes downhill. Joshua thus marks the high point of Israel's history, the full realization of her identity as the people of God. It never, says Butler, got better for Israel than this moment, not with David, not with Isaiah, never got better than this moment. And Joshua was the one who, as God's leader, made it happen. Who wouldn't have wanted a moment like this or wanted to be remembered in a way like this? Who, at the end of their life, would not want it to be said, you were the apex of your family history. You were the high point of your company's history. You were the high point of the community of faith that you were part of. With you, it was as good as it ever got. It would never be better. And pray to God that may always continue. And so here is Joshua, a man of strength and courage. And he is now going to, as an old man, in the apex of Israel's history, he is going to speak to the people he's been leading. He is old. He sees the end of his life before him, and there's a challenge he wants to leave with him. So here's what he says in Joshua 23. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I'm old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. He's talking about them. You've seen it, he said. You lived it. You were part of it. You know what happened. But now I am going, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Everybody dies. I'm going to die too. You know that with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Look back at what God has done, he said. Look what he said he would do. He has done it. When God makes a promise, God keeps a promise. So this morning we heard promises made right to parents and to children. Zachary and Tamina, God promised, I'll be your God, you be my child. When God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. God said to Israel, I'll be your God, you be my people. When God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. What promise has God made you? What promises has God kept for you? What promises has God keeping in your life? Joshua says, he makes promises, he keeps them. That's all the then, and the then moves to the now. Look at what he says. 
now. You know everything behind you, but now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. In light of everything God has done to you, here's the challenge. Are you going to be faithful? Will you be courageous? Will you continue? Now, you've got to make that choice. He said, well, we already made the choice. We crossed the river. We defeated the armies. We're occupying the land that God has given us. But at the end of all that, Moses says, you've got to make a choice. Or Joshua says, you've got to make a choice. Are you going to choose God or not? Will you stay with him or won't you? Or do you want to go back to the things you left? Or are you going to serve the other gods that are around you even now? We never leave entirely, do we, the sin that is part of our past. Sin always, it's all around us in every place and every person, including all of us. It is always around us. It is not only past, it is present. So are you going to serve those things or will you move beyond that, says Joshua? You choose who you're going to serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I intend uh, this evening to be at the Louisiana State Prison in Angola. And when I meet with the inmate pastors at Angola... I hear one refrain over and over and over again. And you know what they say? We're not going back to Egypt. Nobody has to explain that for them. They say, we're not going back to Egypt. These are men who know where they've come from. They know what they did to get where they are. They know that they cannot change the circumstance of the place where they are. And most of them know they will never see a day of freedom outside those prison walls. But to a person, these pastors will say, we are not going back to the slavery that brought us to this place. We're not going back. That's the kind of conviction that Joshua is calling for. As for me and my house, he says, we will serve the Lord. To the reader of the book of Joshua today comes this challenge. Don't go back to what you left behind. Why do you want that? What has it done to you? What has it done for you? Don't go back to destructive behaviors. Don't go back to things that hurt you and the people who love you and the God who has made you. But like Joshua, if you do go back, I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. I've been there. I don't want to be there again. It's for me and my house. We'll serve the Lord. So the people hear that challenge. Look at their answer. And uh, you can read the uh, yellow type. Then the people answered, Well, they say what we want them to say, right? Far, hey, we don't want that. Far be it from us. Push it away. Get it out of here. We don't want to serve other gods. We're going to serve God like you are because he's our God. It is exactly what you would hope for. We too will serve the Lord. 
And then in the story comes this moment that I think shows that even at his advanced age, Joshua has as much courage as he had when he was a young leader because look what happens next. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. Now get this, right? He's got this passionate speech and all the people are there with him. He's saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and say, yeah, we're going to serve God too. We're not going back to that. The Lord is our God. We are going to serve God, says the people. And Joshua's next words are, no, you won't. No, you won't. Really? What kind of response is that? What's going on in this man's mind? Well, he knows those people. More importantly, he knows himself. And he knows the grip that sin has and evil has in human life. And he knows it's a power of self. And it's never a matter of saying, I was there, I'm not going back. Every day you say, I was there, I am not going back. It's not enough to say once, I was there, I'm not going back. You say it today, you say it tomorrow, you say it to the end of time. I've been there, I'm not going back. And so he looks at all the promises God has kept for his people. He looks forward. He sees recurring patterns of sin and rebellion. Israel's remorseless attraction to idolatry. He said, I know you people. I know what you're going to struggle with. Saying, I'll serve God isn't enough. You've got to serve God today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And having heard that challenge, the people, and I think now they're shocked in a sense, look what happens next. The people, again, would you read? The people said to Joshua, And then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we're witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, It isn't enough to say it once, again and again and again, to purpose and repurpose, to commit and to recommit in our life. The Lord is God, and we will serve him. And so the the end of the life of Joshua comes when he takes a rock and he puts it in front of the place of worship. And he says to these people, you know, this rock is not going to move. It's not going to go away. It's always going to be here. And as long as that rock stands, I want you to look at it, and I want you to remember what you said to God. This is the day, this is the time, this is the place, this was the purpose in which you said, the Lord is God, we will serve him. Look at the rock and remember what you said. So, so what does it say to Elmhurst and what does it say to God's people at Elmhurst? As a church, as an institution, Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church knows well the story of Catherine Tessman, the founding mother of what God has continued in the life of this congregation. And we know the story of a small congregation in a Sunday school in Bellwood, and we know the day when Catherine Tessman said, I'm not going back to everything I left. I'm going to do something better in Bellwood, and she did started a Sunday school. We know the huge commitment that that group in Bellwood made saying we can do better than this, more than this. We need to move to Elmhurst. 
We know the story of meeting in a bank meeting room, and then we know the story of moving to 905 South Kent. And then we know the story of saying this space isn't enough, and they put an addition on 905 South Kent. And we know the story of the fire that burned the peak of the building and began a process by which I'm convinced God moved that congregation to another place in another time. We know the struggles of trying to find a property. We know the struggles of having a huge debt and being able to meet that debt in such a way that by God's grace and goodness, we are in far better place now than we have been. We know all those stories. We know all of that thing in the past. We know that God has brought us to this place at this time, this moment. And we know that we stand here as a community of faith, as a church building, as an institution along Roosevelt Road, right? like a building with its arms outstretched, saying to its community, we are here for you. You are welcome here. The glass on the front wall of this place says we will be as transparent as the grace of God allows us to be. Like Anna said, we're not a perfect people. Forgive us when we pretend to be better than we are or even better than we want to be. We want to be a place that is a blessing to the south side of Elmer so that, like was said at a planning commission 15 years ago, the south side of Elmhurst is a better place because the people of God meet here day after day, week after week, in a place that is committed to the service of God and the welfare of all people in the name of Jesus Christ. And every time you see the outstretched arms of that building, remember the commitment that God in his mercy and grace gave to us to be here in his name, to be his presence, and to say to anybody, the 75,000 cars that drive by every day, you come, we are here for you in the name of Jesus. And there is something here you need to know. We want you here. Amen? Well, it's one thing to say that as a church. But you know, like Greg told us a couple of weeks ago, of all that God has done to bring us to this place in this moment, it is time then to take that which is outstretched and turn it inward and to look at our own lives regardless of the age, regardless of our life circumstance, whatever your story is. I don't know your then. I only know your now, and I challenge you for your future. It's more than saying as a church, this is what God has done. This is what we're going to be. It is a personal commitment saying, this is what God has done for me, and this is what I want to do in the name of God for him. And as the outstretched arms of a church building are a reminder of who we are and what we are. So in our individual lives, there is a moment, an object, a picture, a memory, a person, a sound. Whenever we're at that moment, we remember, no, this is who I am, and this is what God has done for me. Somewhere it is a tattoo, a verse, a cross on their body. Somewhere is a piece of jewelry. Somewhere is a Bible verse that as soon as they hear that verse, they remember, that's what brought me to Jesus. Some, this is me, when there is a song, 
Instantly, I'm transported back to that time and that place and that moment when I first understood that I was loved by Almighty God, that he sent his son to die on a cross for me, and that there would be nothing better for my whole life than to live for him and to say, Jesus, I come. All I have to do is hear the song, and I'm back there again. I don't know what it is for you. But like a rock in front of a temple in Israel, there is a moment in your life and a place in your life, if you know Jesus, that brings you back to a commitment so fundamental that it is not only then, it is now, and it is forever. Remember that moment. Hang on to that moment. A moment, a story that is your coming out of Egypt, a release from bondage, from brokenness, from pride, from temper, from selfishness, from self-absorbed life, any contemporary idolatry, that moment when you said, no, this is something better for me, and I am something better than that, by God's grace. You come to that moment. You remember that moment. You claim that moment, and you live out that moment. Whenever you see it, know whose you are, what you are, committed to Jesus. I will be the person in front of you that doesn't turn right on red fast enough. And I'll be the person in front of you driving in the wrong lane, five miles below the speed limit with a wrong blinker on. And I'll be the person that doesn't climb to the top rung of a ladder But I will never forget ever being 17 years old and knowing God loves me and wants me and has something better for me than I could ever have for myself. And I said it then and I, I say it now with humility and asking God's grace that it may always be true. We're all going to choose the God we want to serve, money, fame, fortune, comfort, convenience, whatever. But, but as for me, folks in my household, we will serve the Lord. May God grant the grace and courage to be faithful to the end. Let's pray. This courage business, Father, is strange. We whip ourselves up into emotional frenzies until we think we've got it, and then suddenly when the emotion disappears, the courage drains away also. We long for something deeper. We long for a work of your Holy Spirit that deep within our soul stirs us with the memories of who we were and what you have done for us and where you have brought us and whose we are. We pray that we will not only be a church, but everybody here this morning will be able to say, you know, there are so many choices of what I want to live for and do with my life. But out of them all, I want to serve Jesus, love him, 
and be loved by him all my life. Grant that it may be so for us and for those who are still looking and for those who are wandering and for those who are still in desert places and haven't crossed that uh, boundary of faith yet, God. I just pray that you would let them know how deeply loved they are by you and that there is truly something better in life than that which they seek and that you're waiting for them. And I pray that they may come and um, say with us, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Every Sunday in worship, we have an opportunity to respond. We do it in song, we do it with thoughts, we do it with life, and we do it with an offering. An offering is a way to not only meet the ongoing responsibilities of a church, but it's a way to say, God, of everything you've given me, I love you so much. Here is my gift of love for you. The offering will now be taken.